Hello! My name is Christina, and thank you for checking in to the Parameter OCs. This is a podcast where a friend and I talk about our original characters. The good, the bad, and the self-inserts. And today, our guest is Chia. How are you doing today? Would you like to introduce yourself? <laughs> yeah! Hey! Um, I'm Chia. Thank you so much, Christina, for that lovely intro. Uh, I am the creator, writer, uh, artist behind Sharks Don't Sleep. And um, thank you so much for inviting me on to your beautiful podcast. Love to be a part of Wayward. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. I'm 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 glad to hear that you like the podcast. Uh, I I am also very glad that uh, I was able to find your work through um, one of the one of those like artist community hashtags that was going around Twitter a couple months ago. Um, oh. And it was honestly like, you know, when when Twitter actually works, it oh, works yeah? really well. Ooh. <laughs> when 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 you're able to find like just the right hashtag or just the right community, it's really helpful and effective. God, <laughs> who'd have thunk it? Ah, uh, I wish if only that could be me all the time, <laughs> more consistently. But I really agree with you. I found some. I mean, I started back on DeviantArt and like Ooh. new grounds and I think oh, the wow. algorithm was like less I don't know if I want to say capitalistic but yeah building an artistic community whether it be fellow mm-hmm. artists or just you know non-artists is like when the algorithm works for you it's like godsend absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. but DeviantArt was sort of at the dawn more so of the internet or artistic platforms mm-hmm. um and there was just maybe a different culture or a smaller demographic of people but there was a lot more like one-to-one interaction people would write out paragraphs for mm-hmm. comments just mm-hmm, being mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. man I love the way that you drew this hand. You made so much progress from your last piece. You know, this pinky is so much better. And the lighting is so much good. And as a kid, I think I was 12. uh, It meant the world to me that people were telling Mm -hmm. me that my 12-year-old art was, like, improving. But, yeah. uh, I really appreciate the comments that I get these days that... I mean, I I love all of them, right? Like, any Mm -hmm. interaction is... How do I say this? I've really enjoyed, honestly, the community that has managed to be built around uh, my Shark Teeth experience and Sharks Don't Sleep. Shark Teeth, Mm -hmm. as a quote-unquote brand and my shop, is just for the sake of supporting Sharks Don't Sleep. And the (laughs) amount of people that are interested stun me. Like, they're yeah. users, they're the typical users that I'm like, oh yeah, you're Banana56, and you comment a lot, so you know my OCs, but there are the randos that come out of the woodwork sometimes that are like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember this, your character's wife, ex-wife's, daughter's nephew's, this character, <laughs> and I'm stunned that... There are genuine people out there taking the time to care. Yeah. And I was talking to, like, a cashier the other day about how, if anything, this pandemic has really shown us, I think, also, that 
it's so important to care. I care too much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is sort of the background noise of my life, and that is definitely something that influences <laughs> all of my art and my comic as well. Yeah, I I think that's I think that's a trait of of I think we're about the same age, so I think it's a trait of like our generation. Yeah. Or like like from from youngest Gen Xers to like oldest Gen Zennials and stuff. Gen Zennials, I haven't ever heard that. Or, Zen- That's or like... Generation Z, I don't know what the actual term is. I I think what you said was rad, so but whatever <laughs> it ends up being, I'm down. Um yeah. but yeah, yeah, I'm really happy. I've I've met a lot of young people that care are like <laughs> radicalized um more socialistic mm-hmm. i guess just more community based you know at its root caring yeah. being fundamentally a part of the human experience and i mm-hmm. am all about that noise <laughs> <laughs> me too and real quick I- i'm gonna kind of pivot to talking about original characters because like this i'm glad that we are connecting on this level also we do this is a podcast for original characters yeah please so, i will totally segue accidentally redirect me my captain oh captain <laughs> <laughs> so who are we talking about in specific today chia i sent to you a summary of Jockey. Um, mm-hmm. I'd love to talk about if it's all right with you. I don't know how much is too much, but Jockey and Kiko really share the main character role in Sharks mm-hmm. Don't Sleep, and they are meant to be foils to one another. And um, Jockey has <laughs> the way I kind of summarize him is that he has like a lot more of a shoujo storyline, whereas Kiko has more <laughs> of a shonen storyline, and they Ooh, interact yes. uh, <laughs> hilariously. And the ensemble cast, I'm really yeah. inspired by One Piece. So the rest of the nice, cast nice. really, how do I say this? I don't know if you're a fan of One Piece, but I feel like I always pitch Sharks Don't Sleep in a nutshell as One Piece combined with Princess Mononoke. And mm-hmm. all of the rest of the cast have their really important character development moments their beats, mm-hmm. they have their own arcs and mm-hmm. missions, and for me, what a main character is, is sort of what keeps this cast together and yeah. keeps the narrative. Exactly. For yeah. me, it's like an emotional connection almost, so mm-hmm. definitely Jockey and Kiko is what keeps this cast of eight people going on the ship, and mm-hmm. that's what makes them the main characters and why I'd love to speak about them today. Yeah, yeah. How about uh, how about Chia? We start off with kind of how did you come up with with the story of uh, with the story of sharks don't sleep? Did you come up with Jackie and Kiko first, or did they kind of uh, were they kind of created after you came up with the with the premise for the story? <laughs> um, or is it kind of the same time timing kind of a thing? Yeah, no, that's totally fair. Um, so, hilariously, this is a good example of, like, know the rules, once you know the rules, break the rules, but mm-hmm. Sharks Don't Sleep is embarrassingly a creature that I created in middle school, actually. So now yeah, me yeah. being, right? So now be me being a um, college graduate 
me mm-hmm. being 26 years old, I was told multiple times professionally that you do not continue that story that you wrote in middle school. Granted, but it has... what if you do anyway? What if you do anyway? Which is definitely what I did. And granted, it's gotten an incredible facelift because previously, Draki used to be a ninja and Kiko okay. was still a pirate but did not have a robot arm. Pirates um, versus ninjas. That nice. was... Holy bananas. You just reminded me because <laughs> I said that... Yeah, I was on DeviantArt, and that was mm-hmm. definitely the catalyst to me creating both these characters. I was just mm-hmm. a 12-year-old that mm-hmm. was like, mm-hmm. well, what if the pirates and the ninjas were friends? And that's <laughs> what Sharks Don't Sleep was starting out. And then as yeah. I grew, I actually formed a coherent story and formed a concept that was more concrete the flavors where these characters originated from are still there um, underneath, but obviously I'm really approaching Sharks Don't Sleep from a very professional lens. Uh, I'm yeah. hoping to make this my career and yeah. yeah, have it be published. So it's it's come from this thing that was like a very do what you want, which I totally support. And just, mm-hmm. you know, art is not just meant to be consumed like do what makes you happy and it has become something that is a balance mm-hmm. between that mindset and also um being something that could be I don't know if I want to say consumer grade but you're mm-hmm. you're you're taking you're taking this project that you created when you were very passionate about it in middle school and now that you have now that you have technical skills and training you're applying those to this project so that you can share them with you know the wider world or as many people as you want to share it with is that correct christina you are such a delight yes absolutely (laughs) thank you (laughs) better said that i could have possibly verbalized yes so would you like to talk about kind of the the world of sharks don't sleep as it was when you created it in middle school was it what did it, what did it kind of look like in its like starter form? Oh, dude. Okay, so control me if I'm gonna go too much on the segue. But a huge <laughs> inspiration of what propelled me to be an artist is OSTs. Are you familiar with them? Um, original soundtracks um, or wait, uh, OCTs. Sorry, that was on me. Uh, oh, oh, original character tournament. Yeah, baby. Yes. So, yeah, Jackie was created as an original character for a really small level, like, you know, young artist, um, mm-hmm. OCT. And I've only met, like, one other person in real life that remembers them. But mm-hmm. for anyone who's listening that might be un familiar please listen to this and revive it but it's (laughs) basically a format where you have a moderator sort of like in Mm -hmm. like role play games like a a dungeon master um Mm -hmm. that creates a world a set of rules and you have people who apply to compete in a tournament format via the vehicle of an original character that via Mm -hmm the rules of the world have determined that they must fight. 
And Mm -hmm. as artists, and it would be artists like comic artists, illustrators, animators, all competing Mm -hmm. to deck. And all skill levels. Oh, yeah. All skill levels. That was also a big thing. And all mediums. There was like collages Mm -hmm. of essentially people trying to depict their original character, defeating whoever their bracketed opponent was. And Mm -hmm. as you, Mm -hmm. yeah, make your way through this usually group of 32 uh, original characters down to the final two, whoever won now has this canonized story that interacts with 16 other original characters. Mm -hmm. And these tournaments would span the course of months. And some of my... Some of my favorite artists to this day that are now working in the industry, like uh, one of them is now, uh, I think that um, she's working on her own stuff, but Madeline Ruper uh, worked on the comics for Adventure Time and regular show for Boom, is the creator of Sakana, a huge inspiration to my work. Um, Another one of them, gosh, I'm trying to remember... Oh, I don't want to go too much on a rant, but I mean, that is yeah. like OC gold right there. Yeah. Uh-huh. And since I never had a DeviantArt, which is where a lot of OCTs were hosted, um, I never participated, but mm-hmm. I did follow a lot of, I think it was a lot of Pokemon artists mm-hmm. uh, on, like I, like I kept up with their work on DeviantArt. And so I saw a lot of people participating in these OCTs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Which maybe maybe Pokemon was the best uh, vehicle for them because you know it's a built-in battle format already. Um, but it was I remember that those were always so interesting because you know then it's like not only you you creating art for your own OC, but like you also then get to draw the other person's OC who you're matched against. And it was it was always really like interesting to me and i kind of wish that i would have gotten involved in it but you know it didn't happen it's fine i mean they're still going on today i don't know if they're going on outside of the pokemon community because you're totally right i'm i preferably pretty aware that like the pokemon community is still going at it (laughs) oh yeah i think there's also an equivalent or at least similar trend called uh art battles where uh, I've seen some people post about it on Twitter. It's essentially like you, like like you you share your character and then you do like art quote attacks by drawing other people's characters, and it's a continual challenge without really like consequences. Yeah, I think I, I you're totally right. I from what I've seen, I haven't participated just because there's it lacks that narrative element. And as mm-hmm. a storyteller, that's super important to me. Yeah. As far as I know, I could be just completely out of my wits right now and unaware that there is a narrative element. But it just seems to be a visual back and forth. I love the idea because it's still like stimulating mm-hmm. this community and receiving fan art or, yeah, like fan art of your OC in that way. But, um,. Yeah. I think that these OCTs really set up a lot of a basis of skills for me, if that makes sense. Because if you Mm -hmm. think about it and you break it down, you have to narratively depict your character that you supposedly know well, right? 
Um, which, yeah. being able to write your own character well is a struggle in of itself, hilariously enough. And then <laughs> you have to read this reference sheet for this character that that character must, your character must face. And now this is an exercise in keeping characters in character. Yeah, yeah. Being able to draw on model. Being able to creatively express why these characters would fight it out. Obviously, if you have two fiery, melee-centric characters fighting one another, the, the narrative does not need to be that complex. But if you have an OC that is a pacifist fighting against another pacifist, how are you going mm -hmm. to express an outcome where one has become the victor? And yeah. Yeah, so it's just such a great exercise, not only visually, so, you know, remaining on character model, you know, fight scenes, mm -hmm. which they didn't always have to be, but fight scenes yeah. are difficult to draw. Some of them were just rap battles or just obviously like winning in <laughs> alternative ways. Um, yeah. But it was all just this great conduit of immense creativity that you could work in your favor so long as you thought it through and put in that effort. Mm -hmm. So how, how, how well did Shaki do in the OCT? Oh my god, I was 12 years old. I did not have uh, a very essential skill in these tournaments, which is time management. <laughs> mood yep yeah mood. so um you can imagine a big problem also that would just get people disqualified was i didn't finish my submission so i just didn't finish my submission i got accepted into the tournament my um submission you know sometimes if the number of people submitting uh superseded the 32 opponent quantity mm -hmm. you know you were judged on the basis of like this introduction that you've drawn or written for your oc to enter this world and yeah. i i got in mm -hmm. and then just round one i just didn't finish my submission in time. oh no chia i know poor 12 year old me <laughs> I don't know what I was busy doing, like, watching cartoons. Being, being 12? Being 12, for sure. Um, but I feel like uh, I am enthusiastic about this concept, and it really did inspire me. You're setting me down memory lane right now, but I feel like this is, like, <laughs> really strayed from my actual intellectual it's okay. properties. Okay, cool. cool so cool. so you made Shaki as a character for the OCT. Was this for a particular fandom or just like complete o complete OC uh, complete canon agnostic? Um canon agnostic. I've never heard that before, but that's freaking awesome. Um but yeah, completely original concept. Um I can't remember it. It was like very young child emo e. It was like the darkness is coming to consume mm -hmm. the world. And this yeah. band of 32 people must defeat the darkness. But <laughs> the darkness is pitting each other, like, all of you against one another. So, yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. sort of thing. 
Nice. Uh-huh. Sounds very Kingdom Hearts. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> totally. <sighs> Good times. So, so did you then kind of, like, stick with Shaki and develop him as, like, t- as, like, time went on? Or did he kind of get, like, like, put aside for later? So, as a creator, I'm... As a person, I'm pretty obsessive, it turns out. Uh, mm-hmm. As I continue to draw... Um, I took art really seriously when I was young, so I did a lot of formal figure drawing classes. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of my foundations done, but um, I think I managed to name... I created Jaki Kiko Main Kong mm-hmm. uh, in early high school, so those characters generally retained their form and existence. Um from yeah. a young age, and they were just characters I would redraw again and again, and I gave the vague existence of the story a name. So, the name Sharks Don't Sleep came from when I was in early high school. The story mm-hmm. did not come in until, I think, my junior year of college in France. I was studying abroad in France. In yeah. the cost, in the middle of nowhere. It was like an isolated <laughs> environment. It was very artsy, very like snobby. And I was like, ho ho. <laughs> I <laughs> will take these characters finally from this story, Shark's Own Sleep, and actually create a narrative. So, you know what? I think because so much of my interest in traveling to France and studying there was also centered around the culinary arts. Like, Ooh. right, right. So, like, before Shaki was a ninja, he wasn't a chef at all. At all. And so, yeah. my time in France really inspired me combining food into Jaki's character. And uh-huh. now, I refer to him as a combatant chef. That That is what he is in the story. And yeah. um, in the world, what his people are known as... So I managed to combine the combatant, so the the ninja from middle school, Shaki, uh, uh-huh. with the chef of like college Chia, being in France. If that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of pulling pulling elements together to make a cohesive original character. Right. I get that. And now Shaki is like people love Shaki when I explained when I even just say okay. So there's this dude, and he's a chef, but he doesn't want to cook for people. He's just done that. He's really good at it. He's the best chef Mm -hmm. on his island. Mm -hmm. And now he has decided to cook for sharks. People are pretty immediately hooked, which... Yeah, Uh, I think think this is a good jumping off point to kind of talk about the world of sharks don't sleep. Yeah, to explain baby. why it is that Shaki wants to talk, wants to wants to cook specifically for sharks. Yeah, baby. Okay, I talk about this so much too. I have like a little shark teeth crew of three people, and only those three people know the entirety of the story. They are my consultants, my editors, my plot hole finders. So, big thanks, big love to my fiance Leon, my sister 
um, Danelle and my best friend growing up, childhood friend, Donia. Aww. Um, thank you so much. But yes, uh, they get to hear about all this all the time. So I'm happy to tell mm-hmm. you about Sharks Don't Sleep. Um, but let's see here. So the world of Sharks Don't Sleep is not our mm-hmm. world. It's a smaller planet, and a big difference is that it is composed almost entirely of ocean, and the mm-hmm. land masses that do exist are islands. Yeah. A big motivation of mine is maintaining culture and expressing that through this coded fantasy world that I've created. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the intent of creating these isolated islands that are far apart from each other is so that as the journey goes on, I can really express these different demographics of people that mm-hmm, mirror, mm-hmm. right? So this is just, this this world building is just an excuse for me to, <laughs> um, yeah, I love it. Because it gives me this, this excuse to like research these cultures as authentically as I can. I have this wonderful mm-hmm. group of sensitivity readers that make sure that I don't mess it up. Um, yeah. But yeah, so Jackie has grown up on the Alouettean Islands, which is a chain of mm-hmm. islands. Um, it, throughout the world of Blue, is the name of the planet, um, mm-hmm. is known for its amazing restaurant culture. So people from all over the world, tourists and otherwise, like rapscallions, yeah. are coming over to dine um, amongst the Alouettean people, Jaki is one of the chefs that are, like, that. that's his his trade, is that he's working at his family's restaurant, cooking, and this island, part of their culture is that they have no militia, they have no police force whatsoever, mm-hmm. so a really common cultural aspect is that they just train all of their people to defend themselves, so that's how... Uh, infamously almost the common yeah. chefs were come to be known uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. this set of chefs that will cook you the most glorious meal of your whole life but if you cause a ruckus or if you don't pay or if you disrespect <laughs> someone they will have to ask you to leave with force if necessary mm-hmm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. good, so, good, good. Thank you, thank you. Yes, yes. And so Jackie has done this his whole life. He's 21 years old. And to be honest, he's kind of a loser. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, his family is like forcibly asking him to please take a vacation. <laughs> um because he's a workaholic and he really needs to take a break and go on their cultural pro- pilgrimage, which asks yeah. their people to go out into the world. And that has contributed considerably to their um, their culinary uh, richness is that their people at the age of, let's see here, what did I decide? 14, go out into the world and then just go study underneath another restaurant on another island. And ah, then, so he's overdue. He's overdue. He is, like, seven years late. He is, like, quote-unquote, too old to be doing this. He wants to stay home. Oh, my home, gosh. And he wants to just keep working for his family's business until he dies. He's, like... Not... <laughs> uh, 
st- stop me if you've heard this comparison before, but it's like in all of those, uh, like, I remember various Nuzlocke comics where it's like, this middle-aged man is going on a Pokemon journey and his rival's a 10-year-old. <laughs> I love that. Yes. That's awesome. Yes. Uh, Jockey is supposed to be sort of like the stereotypical, like, you know, in my world, I aged it up a little bit to 14. Not mm-hmm. like that's a ton better than a 10-year-old. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, Jockey was supposed to be this young little thing going out into the world to become a Pokemon trainer. And Jockey was like, nah, I'm gonna stay in Little Leaf Town and work at the Pokemart until I die. <laughs> I don't want to be a main character. Please. Um... And that, that is due to his backstory, which we can get into if you'd like, um, but he, he definitely is introverted and very devoted to his family um, mm-hmm. for backstory reasons, as they say. Yeah. And his family, out of love and concern, have forcibly pushed him out into the yeah. world to be a main character mm-hmm. against his will. He- <laughs> <laughs> he does have personal reasons. Like, he's he's not just at the mercy of um, external forces. He does have internal reasons to also go on his own mm-hmm. pilgrimage. I mean, he's yeah. a workaholic that is aware that he will work himself to death otherwise. So he yeah. also knows that he needs to go on a vacation. Um, may, may I ask what the kind of inciting event of his journey is? Like... You mentioned that his family, you know, tells him like, "Okay, you got, you gotta, you gotta go." Character development's calling. Yeah, exactly. Like, is that is that the thing that gets that gets Jackie off off the island, off the Alouette Islands? The inciting incident that gets him off the Alouette Islands is that the world's changing a lot. Mm-hmm. So his family, that's more in touch is concerned that if Jockey does not go on this year long pilgrimage now that he might not be able to go on it later at all yeah maybe yeah um cause the world's getting more dangerous the world of mm-hmm. blue is on the cusp of an industrial revolution um Ooh. and yeah okay um both technologically and resource-wise, travel has been more accessible now more than ever, which mm-hmm. has resulted in these previously isolated islands from coming in contact with each other and creating conflict, a fight for resources, a fight for land that has never existed before, etc. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, his family are like, okay, it's getting a little choppy out there in the waves, so <laughs> um, we are going to forcefully request that you go now because we think this is the time this is the only time left Mm -hmm. and also it is that his little sister who he uses as an excuse to stay home a lot is that he has to take care of the family he's the eldest that has remained on the island like Mm -hmm. um i have to take care of her she's my little sister He's raised her since she was a baby. She now has realized how she has been used as an excuse to enable Jackie's behavior. And she yeah. doesn't want to be a part of that anymore. 
she found his diary, his journal, that isn't updated these days, but the last entry was about how he wants to follow in his grandmother's footsteps. Yeah. Which was to travel the world, study under other restaurants, Mm -hmm. gain new skills and recipes, and his grandmother is absolutely famous in that she cooked for the great white shark representative and that's yeah that was her claim to fame and so um before i go on a really big part of blue's mm-hmm. world building mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. that and this is sort of like the princess mononoke part if anyone's familiar with it there's a lot of like gods that roam the world in the form of nature Mm-hmm. And I wanted to take that influence and I've made it so that every species of animal on blue has a representative, which is essentially a demigod yes. that mm-hmm. is responsible for representing, protecting, um, guiding their species of animal into a more sustainable future. And that, yeah. that can mean a lot of things. It's not necessarily like, I will just protect my species, period. And uh-huh. Uh-huh. they are sentient. Um, they possess divine ability. They're very powerful. They're either feared or respected, depending on where they exist in the world. But they're mm-hmm. also shapeshifters. And so they're able to shapeshift between the species of animal that they are to a more divine appearance depending on how powerful they are and then Mm -hmm. also the big caveat in this rule that every species of animal has a representative is that humans are the only species of animal on blue that has no representative yeah and so (laughs) culturally you can kind of imagine how different groups of people interpret this like are we forsaken? Are we godless? Mm-hmm. Have we done something to deserve this? Has the world failed us? But yeah, yeah. that is, um, you know, uh, I set this up slowly because this is like maybe a 1,000 page comic. So it's like five books, I imagine. Heck yeah, heck yeah. Heck yeah. Um, the main antagonists is a group of people who have been really failed by the world in terms of natural resources mm-hmm. there's a lot of sympathy in that way um the Alouettean islands are meant to contrast that in that they are like a tropical um paradise par- yeah land paradise. of plenty <laughs> a land of plenty and that's where Jackie comes from and the main antagonist that foils Jackie is that they are a land of nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, and so they have felt the sentiment of, like, that the world has failed us. We have no representative to protect us in any way. There is no food on yeah. our island. Um, There are hurricanes and natural disasters all the time. If there was a god... I would really appreciate it right now. If they did anything to help us right now. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Right. So, um, fortunately for them, their natural resources ended up being in 
like minerals. So as, you know, this mm. dawn of industrialization has come to exist, I mean, it's largely due to them, like, realizing that, yes, we have no food and we are all starving and dying of disease and famine, but, like, it has really incentivized them to uh, make a lot of technological advances that ha- they yeah. have then been able to exist off of, and now they are... Uh, traveling across the oceans at speeds and luxuries mm-hmm. that people haven't imagined before. They are trying to create, um, what's it called? Mutually beneficial agreements for food in exchange for their technologies. So they're, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's part of why the world's changing so much is their influence. Oh no, they've discovered greenhouse gases. <laughs> yes. Yes, they have discovered greenhouse gases. And I'm not trying to make it a black and white situation. Yes, um, Mm -hmm. I love nature, but I'm also pro-technology. Obviously, we have the technology (laughs) to be incredibly environmentally friendly while also minimizing the kind of pain and suffering in the world. So I explore that concept as well. Um, Yeah. It is not just technology bad nature (laughs) in the way that, like, agrarian culture Mm -hmm. and farming is what we are supposed to be. I, that's, that's not what I'm trying to get through, which is asleep. Mm -hmm. I, I hope for their, I hope that for their sake that they're able to find the, 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 the ecological balance between... Yes, taking like like making use of the natural resources that are available, whether that be uh, arable land or uh, like like hydropower or you know like using the using the metals and uh, it sounds like maybe even fossil fuels that they have access to, with also still like protecting and upholding the environment and keeping the damage from being done, you know. Right, exactly. And they are not the only people who are innovating in technology. Um, mm-hmm. One of the genres I put Shrek's on Sleep under is solar punk because... Nice. I don't know if you're... Are you familiar with solar punk? It's kind of like a less known genre, but I'm so into it. Yeah, I I definitely have... And I definitely am familiar with solar punk. I haven't really like read anything so far that is specifically solar punk in itself, but... I know, I know the vibes, and I like the vibes. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, uh, let's see here. Yeah, so Sharks Don't Sleep is solar punk in that it is touching on the topic of technology and the advancement of humanity causing friction within nature. But the solar part of it is, like, insisting that there is a way for us to do that sustainably. To progress mm-hmm. technologically and as a society to create advancements, but that it does not need to come at the cost of the apocalypse, which is much more of a cyberpunk sentiment. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, like I, I always say Sharks Don't Sleep is incredibly optimistic. Um, there are really intense topics, which is why I've had to, you know, put my foot down and decide that 
Sharks Don't Sleep is an adult story because, mm-hmm. um, you know, if because I'm... Because the, the stakes are so high. <laughs> exactly. I really want high stakes um, so that the ultimately optimistic sentiment, like, that, that you can feel that weight as the reader... And I feel like we really need that right now. I I believe in Sharks Don't Sleep so much as a narrative because I think it's just so topical right now, us discussing our body. You know, us, as you said, like our generation discussing our humanity, our worth in this world, sort of our shame in existing, um, Mm -hmm. our our desire Mm -hmm. to want and us feeling ashamed in wanting um, in our consumerism, but that not inherently being a bad thing. Uh, It's just sort of the way that we go about it or the systems that fail us. Um, And, Mm -hmm. you know, I've really set up blues so that they are at the beginning of all of these questions. And this cast from a variety of different points of view, because they're from different islands Two mm-hmm. of them are representatives. They're, they're fallen demigods. So they are my lens to speak from the perspective of nature very intensely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everyone has different stakes on what they think that the world should do or what humanity should do. Because that's what I... <clears throat> How do I say this? That is a theme in Sharks Don't Sleep and sort of... In a lot mm-hmm. of my thinking as a person and as a Buddhist and as an American, um, sort of where I've settled on how I view humanity is that yeah. we are incredibly terrifying as a moving piece on the planet Earth because we are so powerful. And that's not a bad or good thing. I mean, we have enacted incredible change in the world. Um, but it is just the fact that we can cause change that makes us so terrifying. And that is a sentiment mm-hmm. shared throughout a lot of the representatives on Blue. Mm-hmm. So other animals like feel that way. They're like, well... Why? What? What? Why are you making that sound? I'm oh, curious. No, I'm, I'm saying like that's the is that the hu- is that the representative's attitude towards humans of like, nah, yeah, it's <laughs> it's like you guys are scary. You guys are so strong, um, and you know I we don't think that you respect or understand that enough about yourselves. Is how mm-hmm. your locus of effect is huge. Um, does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay. And I have a quick question, Shia, before I'd like to pivot off of something that you said. And the, the quick question is, is Shaki human? Yes, yes. Okay. Oh my okay, gosh. Okay. Um, so let's see here. Uh, Shaki, the- <laughs> are you mentioning that because he looks all messed up? Like I'm, I'm mostly mentioning that because in the sample of pages from Sharks Don't Sleep that you have up on your website, uh, I can't help but notice that Jackie has pointed teeth, which is not usually a human trait unless that's done unless that's like a specific like dental modification that's made. 
I um I appreciate your perception because that is definitely <laughs> a plot point that is <laughs> um you know, Jackie does not want to be a main character and wants to be perceived as very sweet and welcoming. He's a chef. Um mm-hmm. he his main motivation and the reason why his narrative is so shoujo is because it's very love oriented for him Mm -hmm. food is love but his appearance really gets in the way of that so he tries really hard not to smile with his teeth out he tries really hard not to have his eyes super visible because i don't know if you've noticed but he also has black sclera and glowing yep like glow in the dark irises Uh Uh uh-huh um that, it sounds like that's something to worry about at a later point. Right, exactly. <laughs> and that is something that he tries to hide um, along with his stark white hair um, for some time. And part of his story is, like, embracing that. But it's it's so funny. I'm really glad that, you know, I want to say that it's all luck, but it's all things that I've really tried to intentionally... Um, insert into their character designs. Like, every little thing I put into each of these character designs, I'm trying to imbue them with, Mm -hmm. like, little subconscious things that the reader might pick up on. But when I first was drawing these characters and finalizing their character designs, I would show them to different demographics of people and just ask them, Mm -hmm. like, which one's your favorite and why? And which one's your least favorite? And, and oh, it, that's smart. I'm oh, yeah. remember that. Oh, do that because it's so, that data collection is so helpful. Um, mm-hmm. But one thing that people would say about Chucky all the time is just that, I don't know why, but I just don't trust that guy. Like, <laughs> and you know, I've given his, his, I've given his model pose. He's so open, his hands out, he's wearing mm-hmm. like a uniform of service his colors yeah. are like a pastel blue and a pastel pink with hearts all over him. But despite all of that, people are like, <laughs> I feel like that guy, I don't trust him. And yeah. that is exactly what Jackie struggles with, is that he's trying so hard to come off as, I guess, one, not a main character, and two, like... um just very friendly and sweet looking because that's who he is as a person. But he's maybe trying too hard because he's covering up these pointy teeth and these black sclera. Mm -hmm. And like, even in his character model that you just look at the concept art, you can't see his pointy teeth and you can't see his black sclera, but people are Mm -hmm. still picking up on that. It's Mm -hmm. fascinating so real quick, Chia, you mentioned um, kind of like the different character designs that you've done and the perspectives that the rest of I'm gonna just, I'm gonna call it the team, the perspectives the rest of the team brings. Would you like to uh, real quick kind of touch on the people that Jackie travels with and how kind of maybe a little bit about how they each interact with him? Ah, uh, yeah, I love the team, so I'm <laughs> super down. So, um, Jackie, they're traveling on his boat, which is the hearth, and, um, so it's 
his sailboat, but also his physical cooking that is feeding people. And also his incredible love and care that keeps the team together. Now, his co-star that shares the main character spot with him, Kiko. Yeah, yeah, Kiko. Let's talk about her a little bit. Yes. She is, like, what's actually keeping everyone alive. Everyone would have died if not for Kiko. But Kiko Mm -hmm. is incredibly relaxed. She has embraced... Her main character role, like an absolute (laughs) angel, you know, but unlike, you know, your typical main characters that maybe are really like hype because she is a seafaring pirate. She is going out and, you know, going after bounties, doing pirate things, um, like getting in fist fights, getting in, uh, drinking bets, etc. She she's got a lot more of an action-packed background, but her demeanor itself is hilariously chill. Like she's just mm-hmm. so in control of herself and her immediate surroundings. She's so competent, which is yeah. supposed to be a contrast to Jackie, who I don't know if you've ever met a real life chef, but Sort of like Gordon Ramsay, like, they're all pretty high-strung. Yes, even if, even if maybe they're less, even if they're more relaxed off the clock or out of the kitchen, as it were, I, I, I know that chefs tend to be a lot of very, like, type A, high-achieving, uh, very, very hard-working people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've heard so many interviews where they're like, this is my best friend. I didn't go to their wedding because my restaurant was open that day and I am not oh, leaving. Oh, no. Like, st- stuff like that. Or, like, my best friend passed away and I didn't go to their funeral because my restaurant was open that day. So... Oh, no. They're, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a very... How do I say this? I have a lot of respect for chefs. It's a very intense profession, and I understand why Mm -hmm. they miss a lot of um, milestones or life moments, because it it takes that level of commitment to keep a restaurant going. But um, Mm -hmm. Jackie is very type A, very high strung to work Mm -hmm. in the profession that he does. And Kiko, despite working in... A lot more of, like, a compared to a fine dining restaurant, you know, like, on a pirate ship. She's just so relaxed in comparison. And yeah. for first all of the first book, it is focused on um, Jackie's goal of finding his first representative to cook for. Um, uh-huh. But then it is a, like... It's a minor spoiler because this is what Kiko's all about. You got to find out about her eventually. But um, (laughs) her goal is to kill her grandfather, who is the worst pirate on all 24 seas. He is the Uh. worst person in the world and is the reason that her family is in hiding and Kiko's decision is like, well, we don't gotta be in hiding if I kill him. <laughs> so, also, 
really terrible person. So yeah, yeah, doing the world a favor. So that really only comes up after like a few fine dining moments with Jackie, where he's very hyper focused on like, okay, how do I create a seaweed salad that will please these hammerhead sharks? And then yeah, that's book one. And then book two is like Kiko's like, okay, so I gotta actually go because I gotta kill my grandpa. And, everyone, and he's like, what? Yeah, Chucky's like, what? I thought you were my first mate. And Kiko's like, yeah, I was a first mate as according to the contract that we wrote, which included that I have a um, debt to fulfill, which is to kill this man. So I will be going. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it is like very much like in that tone. It is like literally like Kiko's like, yeah, this is just business and I'm doing this and I can totally do this. And Jackie's seeing the absurdity of it um, and, yeah. and expresses the absurdity of it. But that's sort of like how Jackie and Kiko's character arcs go and mm-hmm. how they contract contrast one another they really help each other learn and heal from their own personal traumas um yeah via their contrasting coping mechanisms if that makes sense like they they've had to cope yeah. in opposite ways so together mm-hmm. they can come together and heal both internally but then also help solve each other's external problems which kiko is a fantastic mm, like sort of runner slash sous chef slash helper in the kitchen um for when jockey needs to accomplish his um high profile uh meals (laughs) and uh jockey ends up being a really helpful, um, how do I say this? A helpful side fighter for when Kiko's trying to kill her grandpa. And, um, I think the term is literally like, you're, oh, I'm someone's second. Okay, yeah, there you go. Jackie is Kiko's second. Perfect. Um, that's hilarious because Kiko is Jackie's first mate. And I guess, mm-hmm. like, sous chef. Um, and then <laughs> Jockey is Kiko's second. Slash has a boat. <laughs> um, do you have any questions? Otherwise, I will be moving on to the delightful Dominic Darling. Yeah, yeah. Let's go through, uh, let's go through the others. I have, I, I thought of a fun question, but we can ask it after we've talked a little bit about everyone else on the boat. Okay. <laughs> on the crew. Um... Let's see here. So, <clears throat> Dominic Darling, he is been absolutely blessed with prodigal skill and being able to make music. Um, he's a, nice. He's a nice. genius, and I cannot express the amount of which I am impressed and proud of his prowess in making beautiful art that he uh, gains immense fulfillment from. But the only problem is just that he is the son of, like, 
Blue's greatest crime lord. And yeah. That, yeah. that really gets in the way of being able to play your trumpet. Um, so Dominic's life, um, he, he, when he's introduced, he's kind of a scumbag a bit. Uh, he's really trying to live his best life traveling across the islands slash Mm -hmm. escaping Mm -hmm. the the iron grips of his mom. Um, uh, because he knows he's on a timer. He knows at the moment his mom catches him. That this is the last time he'll be able to, like, live his best life. His entire life has been really one-tracked to be exactly what his family wants him to be. Yeah, yeah. And the fate of the world- I just want to make music, mom. Yeah, I just want to play my flute, mom. Um, but, uh, you know, his, his mom is absolutely terrifying. She is known across the world for- being an iron-fisted, like, dragon-riding beast of a woman. Nice. And the Darlings are the only group of people in the world that possess um, gunfire comparable to what we have in our modern world. So, yeah, you know, Dominic seems like a musician, but actually in the crevasse of his back pocket he has a rifle um that's he can wield with startling accuracy due to his training um but Mm -hmm, he really mm -hmm. just comes off as like a frat boy (laughs) i mean what are you supposed to do right like if your whole life has just been trying to get straight a's and Mm -hmm. be your mom's heir to crime lording and yeah. you have managed to lie and be like, Mom, I'm going to study abroad. And your mom's like, okay, as long as this furthers your ability to crime lord. And Dominic runs for it. He has, like, a three-month head start. Like, are you not gonna spring break? Like, it's Miami. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The best that you can. So that's what Dominic's doing, um... The, Dar- the Darlings are also known for their terrifying mounts, which Lady mm-hmm. is. That is the fourth character um, on the crew, on the team, is yeah. a... Uh, so, they're known as mongrels, and mongrels are just a dog slash another animal hybrid, because I love dogs, and I want an excuse to create interesting monster designs. Um, <laughs> Dominic's mom's mongrel is a lot more terrifying. Lady just looks really cute, but she is also a mongrel capable of great destruction. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Dominic um, just sort of parades her around, like, with her... Um, like, Lady is Dominic's only friend, so with her fantastic consent, um, Lady is here to support Do- Dominic, and they are kind of going Aww. around as traveling musicians, trying to just make m- enough money to travel from one island to the next. As Dominic mm-hmm. plays music, and Lady just looks adorable. Um, <laughs> and let's see here. That segues into Kona, uh, which is the fifth member of the team, and she is. 
an amazing singer, which happens yeah, yeah. to be the only thing that Dominic cannot do. <laughs> so that's why he comes off as a scumbag when he's first introduced is that um, he comes to the conclusion that he can escape from his mom with greater accuracy and also make more money if he teams up with this absolutely magnificent singer. And so um, Dominic and Kona are like the bards of the crew. So they're yeah, as, yeah. they're as annoying as you would assume two bards to be. Um, <laughs> Kona is the wise woman of her, um, of her island. So she's mm-hmm. her character is uh, supposed to be a bit of a play on the difference between intelligence and wisdom. So she yeah, is, yeah, yeah. She is really dumb. Um, she she's supposed to be what I've always wanted in a female character, which is just a fucking <laughs> stupid woman that is living her best life. <laughs> I always yeah. feel like the woman on the team is like the the smarts or like the um the straight man or like the the common sense. But Kona's mm-hmm. like Kona's here to also be stupid, which I <laughs> <laughs> um but she's also incredibly wise. So um her personal journey is one of love. Kona yeah. um she is coded as being Kmai, which is my ethnicity so mm-hmm. there's a lot of love and care that i've put into kona specifically the sword that she wears on her sash is what is called a love um a marriage sword which is okay a real thing and it is a sword that is given at marriage that is mostly ornamental but it's meant to represent like as a gift and as an item something that is to protect your marriage and protect your love so Kona had fallen in love with a person mm-hmm. like a decade back and has not seen that person since. And Aww. due to her role as the wise woman of her island, she has had to remain there. But now that via a variety of circumstances, she is finally able to be free and just is not so dependent so dependent on by her people that they mm-hmm. can support her in going out and accomplishing her own personal goal which is to find this person that she loves with all her heart and give yeah. this marriage sword to um that is that is what she is attempting to do and she has asked dominic to help guide her because she's never left her island before and like i said she's kind of stupid mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and she can't quite figure out, like, she has a general, uh, she has, like, a name, she has a nickname that she used to call them, and she has a description, and she has a song that they used to sing together that mm. to go by, but it's really yeah, loose, yeah. um, sort of way to find a person, so, uh... She needs help, and yeah. Dominic has agreed to help her find this mysterious person, and Kona, Aww. in turn, will perform with him. Um, <laughs> and, like, a lot of people already really, like, if I had to pick a most popular character, it might be Kona, 
a lot of people yeah. really love her. Um, yeah. It's insane because her story is a bit of a red herring because I find that a lot of female characters have narratives centered around love and finding your one love. Mm-hmm. And so I, I am playing with that. Um, it, it's an extension of the marriage sword in that, you know, the sword is centric around love, but it is still a yeah. sword, which is a tool yes. of violence. So yeah. her yeah. story is probably one of like the darker ones. That you can't quite know at this point in time, or based okay, on looking at okay. her. But uh, yeah, she's got some crazy stuff that's gonna come your way, and I'm very excited <laughs> to um, unveil that. Um, I also love her because I made her super hairy. She's got so much body hair. Like um, someone described her <laughs> armpit hair as like anime main character hair. It's like Naruto's hair, but. <laughs> Um, but I am on this podcast, I will say right now on Wayward, pro-woman, pro-hairy woman. So <laughs> that is Kona. Um, let's see here. And now we're going to move on to... So luckily, um, Main Kong are a duo. They mm-hmm. are really central to the first book. They are both fallen demigods so mm-hmm. one of the central parts of blue's world building is the idea of corruption so reincarnation yeah. is a fact like it is a scientifically observed throughout the world fact that happens to you when you die is that mm-hmm. you reincarnate and so the most terrifying thing to people is not dying per se but it is becoming corrupted which yeah, yeah. is when your soul, due to a lack of connection or due to a excess of connection, so like obsession, your soul can mm-hmm. become corrupted. Um, okay. Demigods are usually less prone to this. Uh, usually. Usually. But Mei and Kong have both managed to be... Demigogs, they are, uh, Mei is the nurse shark representative, and Kong is mm-hmm. the tiger shark representative, and they have yeah. both managed to become corrupted due to incredibly tragic circumstances. Um, oh, no. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a play on both what happens to nurse sharks in real life, like, uh, a lot of fishermen will blame nurse sharks, um, for a... For eating all of the fish that they want to eat, and also uh, nurse sharks tend to knock over bait baskets, so when fishermen are trying to just catch bait fish, nurse sharks Mm -hmm. will overturn them and eat their bait. So nurse sharks have a tendency to just be killed in mass because of them being a pest. And then... Heavy air quotes there on pest. Quote-unquote pest. And then tiger sharks... Um, tend to be killed because they're feared and seen as aggressive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, uh, they are both victims of that in yeah. the story. And due to these really intense circumstances, uh, have fallen to corruption. 
And they are the yeah. first beings to ever have come back from that. So. Okay. Like, it was a historical event in the world of Blue that one day God ascended from the bottom of the ocean. The big G. Yeah. And amongst this mass murder and, like, carnage of these two demigods having fallen to corruption, you become a husk of your former self and act on the base instincts that led you to corruption. May and Kong were just, like, yeah. they were two gods that had just died and then their husks were causing mass death and famine and uh, plague. Um, God had historically ascended from the bottom of the ocean and trapped both of them in a vessel of some sort. Oh my. Yeah, so, you know, according to who was there and, you know, witnesses, you know, some people say it's a vase, some people say it was a sword. It ended up being two chain scythes that Jucky is gifted at the beginning of book one. Oh no. So his <laughs> main characterness awakens them both uh, yeah, for yeah. reasons that will be explained later. But their tr- their journey is to try and purge themselves of their corruption, their remaining corruption, and regain their godhood so that their currently declining species can finally mm-hmm. have a representative again. Okay, okay. And uh, Kong doesn't care at all. He's like, all the tiger sharks could die for all I care. And May cares a lot and is like, I have to save all of the nurse sharks. <laughs> um, the last thing I'll say about them is that I created and designed them to be two opposite ends of a spectrum where I feel like a lot of times in a cast, the female characters receive a lot of, like, attract a lot of unwanted sexual tension from yeah like viewers i no i i that i think that's fair to say that in because it's it's absolutely we are absolutely not glorifying this it is simply a fact of media that a lot of times in fandom and also in you know just like real life people will often tend to fixate on a female identifying character either based on the the sex appeal or the romantic appeal right and May and Kong were designed specifically to take all of that unwanted sexual attention and put it instead yeah. on two male characters or male presenting characters. <laughs> um, and it has worked. Um, I am so stunned, but Kong has been like the way that multiple people have found out that they're gay. Um, which <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it's awesome. Like, literally, I had a friend, because Kong has, like, generally been kind of a muscly shirtless guy since I created him in early high school. And I remember my friend being like, if I was gay, I would be gay for that guy. And then, like, fast forward five years later, I I, um, went out of touch with them. But now he is happily married to his husband. So I'm like, I feel so special that (laughs) I was maybe like a little seed or a little gust of wind in that direction. Um, 
congratulations. Uh, Kong was the first road sign. <laughs> Great. Perfect. Um, and uh, let's see here. So now that leaves Constance, which, God, I'm so upset because Constance sadly appears in book three. So she's the last yeah. one to join the team. And yeah. <laughs> there's a lot I cannot say too much about her, but she's literally like the best character on the squad. <laughs> like she is like everyone else is a loser. Constance is the coolest character. All of the Aww. characters are also aware that Constance is the coolest character. But she is like an amazing revolutionary that when the team gets to her island, she is at the end of trying to release her island that she loves from the grips of a cult. And she goes by the pseudonym of Mother Constance. And it plays a lot with the fact that she's a trans woman and there's a lot of, like, weird parallels that are not, like, Um, Mm one-to-one. But play with the idea of, like, performative elements in being in the closet and then coming out and then also, like, you know, using certain facades as a disguise to, like, protect yourself, but then also, yeah. like, your true gender being the key to freedom, not only for yourself, but is uh, the key to freedom for Constance being able to, like, save the entirety of her island. And she's oh, nice. just, like... Heck yeah. Yeah. Once she joins the team, they level up as a collective by like <laughs> 60 levels. Like they're Aww. they're not able to survive the rest of book three or four without her being there with her. She's like the brains, the bronze, the kindness. She's like the oldest member. <laughs> the parenting. Of the yeah. Yeah. Um, and she's just so funny too, is like a big thing. She's like, um... God, I forgot what age she is, but she's, like, the oldest looking member of the group. She's, like, old enough to be a grandma, but she's, like, killing it in terms of her physical ability. She's, like, an Olympic athlete doing backflips for fun. Like, doing backflips for the vine. <laughs> and um, just, is ha- like, um, post her arc of trying to free her island from this cult leader. She's essentially on her retirement when she joins the crew. Aww. And comparatively, um, everything else that the crew is trying to do, she's like, oh, this is super easy after everything that I just had to do. This is just my retirement now. <laughs> I'm just going to do some backflips here. Going to stab someone there. You know, you need me to kill that guy. I'll kill that guy. I got you. <laughs> you know, um, but she's she's great. I love her. Yeah, I'm. I'm very glad that you that you love Constance Chia. I <laughs> I do. I love all these characters with all my heart. I have a incredible fondness for them, and um, there's just so much work. And I really hope that the people that these characters are meant to res- represent that I do them justice. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like I am weirdly a snowflake minority in every way like amongst (laughs) amongst asian people i'm southeast asian which is much less well known Mm -hmm. um cambodia which is where my family immigrated from just survived a genocide so one in five people died 
Um, yeah. I am non-binary, which is confusing to both queer people and non-queer people. Um, I'm bisexual, which by phobia <laughs> is hilarious. Um, I'm polyamorous. Um, I just apparently cannot be <laughs> straight or, you know, whatever. That is anyway. okay. Um, that is absolutely fine. And, and valid. <laughs> thank you. So I am interested in representing, like, the weirdest of, in the, the smallest of minorities. And I really hope that all these characters do that justice. I, I, I am, as a white person, I don't think I'm allowed to say, I, I don't think I can be the judge of that, but it sounds like you're doing a good job. <laughs> I, uh, don't worry, I am... Um, Getting tons of once again sensitivity readers to good, you know, good. I'm glad because I am by no means perfect, and I cannot be all these identities. Um, obviously, I am just one person, and also even if I am representing an identity, like I, I live it. I am just one person amongst that demographic. So I love. I will, mm-hmm. you know, I love when other non-binary people check behind my tracks to make sure that I'm not perpetuating something that is harmful etc um yeah but yeah dude i just i really hope i can get this comic out there asap um i i'm having a hard time deciding between which publisher if i'm gonna go with a publishing house formally um Mm -hmm. or whether or not i want the complete freedom but then responsibility of self-publishing but uh, I just want to get these characters out there because I really think that yeah, there's a lot of interesting healing or representation to be had in Sharks Don't Sleep. Yeah. I, I'm very glad to hear that, Chia. And before we go into the last question for today, I have, I have a super... I have, I have two quick questions about Jaki. Yes, tell, t- give me them. Give me the questions. Okay. <laughs> so the first question is... Since he's a chef, what is his favorite dish to make? Not his best. What's his favorite? Dude, his favorite dish is, (laughs) like, it's an anchovy paste with eggplant all smushed together and it's super spicy and super stinky it is fish that has been fermented to the point of having incredible umami so it kind of is reminiscent of blue cheese if you've ever eaten a fish that tastes like blue cheese um i can't say that i have but (laughs) i've had blue cheese so i think i know what you're getting at (laughs) um and yeah so it's an incredibly savory spicy smelly fish paste that you pour over rare beef on top of rice, and then that's it. Interesting. Yeah, it's um, one of my personal favorite dishes, but, like, it's, like, his comfort food and his things that will immediately get him really interested to eat are, if it's stinky, that's all the better. If it's spicy, <laughs> even better. Um, so yes, that's Jockey's favorite dish to eat. Nice. 
And the other question that I had was, what kind of what kind of, what kind of fast or quick service food would Jackie love if he was to be in like the reality of Earth in which we live in? Oh my god. Um <laughs> so chefs notoriously eat a lot of fast food. Um Yeah. So fast food I address in Sharks Don't Sleep. Um let's see here. What kind of fast food would he like? You know what? I've seen multiple YouTube videos where chefs are like, you know what, the McDonald's chicken nugget we don't know what's about it, but you cannot make that at home. Like, the McDonald's chicken nugget <laughs> has a specific flavor, it has a specific appeal, and it tastes good. So, let's say that Jockey would really enjoy a McDonald's chicken nugget. <laughs> That's delightful. That, uh, that is my answer. Thank you so much for such a challenging question. You're welcome. I I really enjoy coming up with that kind of a question. It's like, hmm, what would he think of fast food fish like Captain D's and the filet fish You know what? Yeah, the filet fish got mad respect for because they made that legitimately just as like the only kosher menu, like the kosher, the only kosher item on the McDonald's menu. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um... But I think Jockey has high expectations from fish, so I think the filet of fish might be a little bit of a struggie. But I think that <laughs> the batter and, like, the aroma and also the, the really primal way that you eat chicken nuggets, or maybe I eat chicken nuggets, <laughs> could be uh, an excellent experience for him. Um, Aw. Mm-hmm. So your last question for today, then, Chia, is... Why do you love Jackie and the cast and crew of Sharks Don't Sleep so much? Oh, they're all dumb. <laughs> 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 they're all stupid in their own way. And it's <laughs> hilarious to watch them try to function as yeah. a group and as a team because they all have horrifyingly difficult tasks ahead of them and they're all disappointingly short of reaching them Aww. but they're, they're gonna do it they're gonna do it don't worry um but i just i love jockey specifically because oh my gosh he's just so much about how i feel about food Food is my love language. I know there are so many freaking documentaries about how Cheers. Food... Cheers, bud. Yeah. I know there are so many documentaries about like food is humanity. Food brings people together. Like food, blah blah. But it's so freaking true. Uh-huh. And Jockey uh-huh. encapsulates that so much. He is here to cook for you. He wants to know your preferences. He wants to know your dietary restrictions, your allergies, your your preferences your uh, dietary restrictions like he is so considerate and he just wants to cook for you and he is all about cooking in a way that feels like loving and familial and very personal um and so that is how he expresses like his love and he has so much of it it is like just absolutely stunning 
for a person that has gone through what he's gone through and in a profession that he's in, how much love he has to give. And Mm -hmm. he's, like, just, he, he wants to perform these acts of service so often. And it's just really interesting to see how he, over the course of the story, customizes these acts of service for all of the rest of the cast and seeing how they react to that because some of them are more used to um receiving love or affection than others um some of them are like affection averse and like seeing how Jackie deals with that or helps with their healing is interesting um Mm -hmm. I mean this is a story entirely about love like if you look at my art style I sneak hearts into everything like the shading the shapes of things, etc. And that is because, like, I think that the fact that we all exist and, like, have evolved to be alive is an act of love in of itself. So that's why I draw in clothing, in the waves, in the sky, like, on skin, hearts, because I think that just matter is love. Um, and Jaki is just like the sort of embo- the physical character embodiment of that sense of love that I'm trying to achieve. So I hope that when people are reading and seeing the decisions that Jaki makes, they feel very loved as an extension of that. If that makes sense. Aww, I think that's real sweet, Chia. Thank you. I just really. I'm so grateful to be alive and be here where I am today. And, you know, I just have so much empathy for people living their own lives. And I know that at the end of the day, no matter how much support we receive from other people, we ultimately have to go on a individual internal journey um, Mm -hmm. to get where we want to go. And that can be very lonely. Um, And there have just been people or moments or stories or just little things that helped me overcome my darkest moments. And I just want to make the world like a little bit less of a lonely place. Um, And so does Jackie. Uh, He's very much like my conduit for, for those feelings. Nice. Yeah, I just hope that whoever's listening, I hope that you know that you are loved as cheesy as that sounds. Um, I hope that, like, you can just, like, hold on because there will be good things that will happen. And, like, these characters are all extensions of that. They've they've gone through really mm-hmm. intense scenarios where, obviously, if they had their full right to give up when things were at their worst, but I kind Mm -hmm. of, you know, when the story Sharks Don't Sleep begins, you can kind of see that if they had given up at that point, they wouldn't have been able to experience these immense moments of joy during the narrative. And and Mm -hmm. that's sort of what I want to show people because I've been in, like, really um, intense moments where I myself have wanted to give up and life can seem really dark and... Um, I'm just really happy that I've managed to make it 
like, you know, hold on and not give up at that point because I've had immense moments of joy. Like right now, this podcast has been (laughs) absolutely delightful. And thank you so much, Christina, for like inviting me and asking me about my characters. This, this lights me up. Uh huh. Thank, thank you, Chia. I'm very glad that, that we were able to get this recording set up. And thank you so much for talking about all of your characters. This has been delightful. I'm glad. I, (laughs) um, I, feel just so flattered that you reached out to me and found me when you did and that uh your questions have been absolutely magnificent you've had me look into my characters that i've thought about already so much and question them even more so i feel as though i know them better i've become a better writer through you thank you oh well you're you're welcome now now chia this is the part of the episode where you get to uh talk about places where you would like to be found on the internet and things that you want to shout out and or promote oh geez okay um let's see here i am shark teeth everywhere on the internet um Mm -hmm. but it is spelled specifically t-e-a-t-h when you spell teeth like a cup of tea that is the whole pun because I am obsessed with tea <laughs> and I'm considering getting my tea sommelier certification. Um, oh, nice. I know, right? You d- I didn't even know that existed until a few weeks ago. Um, but let's see here. Uh, yeah, you can find me uh, at Shark Teeth, Shark, T-E-A-T-H, on Instagram, on Twitter, on TikTok. Sharkteeth.com is my professional website. So you can look at all of the curated, very nicely laid out Sharks Don't Sleep information that I have so far. And I will be updating it with more pages as time goes on. And mm-hmm. then I also mm-hmm. have my Shark Teeth shop. Um, so yes, just sharkteethshop.com. And you can buy my merchandise, which supports (laughs) me and my ability to make my comic and feed my doggies. (laughs) Uh, And then in terms of, I'm not currently doing any charities at the moment, but if you follow me, I do a lot of things that to support my local community or fundraisers. So I'm not sure if that counts as a plug-in for no that counts things. that okay. counts but yeah i try really hard to do streams if you if you keep up with me i do incredibly cheap commissions for fundraisers so uh keep an eye out for those i and i and because i can't think of anything to use in the current events blast i'm just gonna go ahead and do the outro if you care about things you know how to care about them call your representatives support people who are marginalized <laughs> but that's just kind of the that that's what you should do all the time anyway <laughs> The Home for Wayward OCs is a part of the Corner Podcast Network. It can be found through Acast and your local podcasting platform of choice. Our theme song is Violet by Pottington Bear, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. We can be reached at waywardocpod at gmail.com or through at waywardocpod on Twitter. If you'd like to talk about Wayward or the other Corner Podcast Network shows, we do have our own Discord server. Uh, if you are interested in joining, there should be a perma invite link up on the show Twitters, or you can message one of us directly and we can get you that invite. And I am always looking for guests to talk about their original characters on the show. 
Uh, so if you or someone you know is interested uh, in talking about an original character of yours, uh, please feel free to drop me a line. I do have a couple of guests lined up for the next month and a half, and also I'm going to be moving in the next month as well, so I might not be quick to respond, but please feel free to send me messages, emails, whatever, and I will get back to you as soon as I can. And of course, this is a podcast, and it's always super helpful if you can subscribe and read us on your listening platform of choice. And if you're really, really feeling generous, leave a review, uh, because that helps us to find a wider audience and to brighten more people's days. So, thank you all for listening. This has been Home for Wayward OCs, and we hope you enjoyed your stay. Whoever's listening, follow your passion, because who knew that combining <laughs> sharks and tea, like the beverage, would end up being as marketable uh, as it is. But there's a whole niche that has been incredibly gratifying and just so sweet um, mm-hmm. to interact with. Uh, but yeah, sharks and tea. People love it. Do whatever you want. Why not? <laughs> Hello, good morning, hi everyone. My name is Nicholas Haskins and I host a weekly podcast called Nikolai's Kitchen, which is all about my personal journey inside the kitchen and out. Each week I explore my passion for food and share some positivity, and I break down a featured recipe for you to make at home. It's a show all about the ups and downs of cooking, baking, and living. I'm not a chef, I'm just a guy who loves cooking from scratch and trying to make a difference in the world. Tune in every Monday for a brand new episode on a podcatcher near you. Just remember, never stop believing in yourself. Thank you so much for coming on this journey with me.